All right, we are into week six of our series, I Can't Breathe. And uh, if you caught it last week, I kind of shared the story of the series title, how we, we really we came upon this six months ago. And uh, the entire time that I was working on this, uh, this series, I really felt strongly that it was important, but I felt like I was missing something because the sermons I created for it just felt off. And because of that, the first four weeks of the series, I wouldn't say the series title. I just, we're just starting to, this, to the sermon, and, and uh, what Pastor Zeki would say, how come you didn't mention this, this series? I said, there's something that's off right now, and it doesn't feel right. And of course, if you, unless you've been in a cave, you kind of know what, what that thing is, what's changed. And so with our series, we talked a little bit last week about the gift of breath. Uh, Pentecost Sunday, we celebrate the, the, when the Spirit of God comes down. And really, also, Pentecost is a celebration of the church. The church did not exist until this one day when the Spirit falls. Now, today, I have a question for you. It's very important. I need you all to take this with the utmost uh, seriousness. Who here likes the Bible? Hands. Two people. Okay. Who here loves the Matrix? More hands. I saw seven. Okay. You already know what's going on here. Now, who listens to Bob Marley? Okay, now, you have heard a word. If you like any of those three things, you should heard a, a word often. The word is Zion. Have you heard this word before? Hands. Now, see, almost everybody, right? We've heard the word Zion, but do you know what it means, what it's for? In the Scriptures, it appears over 200 times in the Scriptures. It is the center of um, at least three different books and the scriptures are all about this one idea of Zion. Now, Zion means this. It means heavenly Jerusalem, which is a way of saying it is what Jerusalem should be like. And, of course, with Jerusalem, the idea is this, that Zion is the city that functions and flows the way that a city would work if God was in control. Now, I always found this really interesting in the Scriptures, right? These are the questions that you should ask when you're in the Bible. If the entire Bible ends with a story about this new city, the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, the place we call Zion, why does it end in a city and not just a village? Why isn't it just, you know, a giant campground? Why is it a city? Now, what is it about a city which is different from a village or different from a campground? There is order, right? There are things that we call systems in a city, right? You have to find ways to, to get mail about, to clean up streets, to get water to people, to get electricity. You have to find ways to keep people in order. You have to find a way to take care of issues and problems and disputes. A city has systems to it. It's ordered, meaning there's someone in control. A system exists because someone is trying to create control. Someone is trying to make sure that things turn out a specific way, right? Now, if you've heard a term on the news lately, systemic racism, right? This is a very popular word right now. Most of the people who I talk to who kind of say or act in the most racist ways, truthfully, are some of the most loving people I know. Now, because I, I pastor here in the South, there are so many people that I talk to almost every day who say, I'm not a racist, I love everybody. But yet their actions would be called 
racist. They say, well, no, I'm not that. I'm not. I love people. And truthfully, as a pastor, I could say this. I have multiple people who act racist every single day, but if they were to have someone show up at their door, they would truly love that person in ways that would even kind of put me to shame. So how are you calling someone racist who personally doesn't even hate this person, who might even love this person? Well, this brings us back to the first part of the word, systemic, which just means systems, right? Now, Zion is a, is a very important symbol in all of the scriptures. If you guys have your Bibles, go to Isaiah 35. It's a long passage. If you notice in my sermons lately, I've, I've really been wanting to kind of give you a larger chunk of scripture because the Bible is one of the most powerful texts, well, in my opinion, it is the most pertinent, relevant, and powerful text we have as humans. But the problem with it is it's so often misunderstood. And so I want to give you kind of a large chunk of it today, and then I'll explain it. Isaiah 35, verse 1. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Now, I, I get that most of this is just kind of, these words are empty for us. Understand that every one of these symbols is very important for them. If you see a mountain, I want you to substitute a symbol. Think of like the Statue of Liberty, right? If you hear a city, you know, um, think of New York City or Los Angeles. This is how people are talking about it. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, divine retribution. He will come to save you. Let's pause right there. I want you to understand that Zion cannot be talked about without vengeance, meaning that the people who are talking about this passage, this is a prophecy to a people who are being enslaved, to Israel, okay? And to these people, Zion is the ultimate promise of what future freedom could possibly exist for them. And so every time that Zion is spoken of, it's not just an idea, it's a promise. But to get to the promise, something has to change. And so if you notice, every time Zion is talked about, there is an act of things being broken. We call it liberation. And so if you notice, it gets a little bit intense here. It will be a day of vengeance, but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, the mute tongue shout for joy. Understand all of these are images of people being oppressed. Think of chains. These are all things holding people down. The burning sand will become a pool, a thirsty ground bubbling with springs, and the haunts where the jackals once lay. Grass and reeds and uh, papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. The wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing, everlasting joy will crown their heads, gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Understand this, Zion is a city free of violence. Zion is a place where there's only one person in control, and we see this person as Jesus, the, God, the Trinity in bodily form. 
And because there's only one person in control, no one else can have power. No one else can have any form of violence. So there is no violence in the city. But to enter into the city, you have to kind of pass through the authority of God. And the only way that Zion, the only way that a peaceful city is created is with these things being broken, with destruction. Now, this is our sacred text. This is the Bible. This is what we're talking about here. I actually had trouble picking which passage of Zion I wanted to talk about because they're all so powerful and meaningful today. Now, systems. When I was a youth pastor years back uh, at the exchange here in Alma, I had my first encounter with what systemic oppression is like. I had children who were not born into great families, were not born into um, great wealth or great education. Most of them were born into uh, substance abuse and broken homes. And we gave these kids everything. We would pour about 10 hours a day into these children. We treated these kids like they were ours. And we would see these kids begin to just to flourish and bloom. But without fail, every single one of our kids, when they began to just succeed and they were about to break free, something would happen around them that they could not control to pull them back in. There's one kid I remember specifically. He was doing so well, and you could just see just healing and joy coming out of him. His behaviors were changing. Who he hung out with was changing. His, his goals for the future were changing. And then dad got back from prison. It was over. There's this one little girl who I remember, same story, doing great, doing great, and then she experienced some abuse in her own family, her own brothers, and things stopped. See, systemic means that there are things that are bigger than an individual person which are causing us to fall into pain and to harm. It means to help one person, you have to do more than just help the one person. You literally have to begin to change what's around the person. See, in the scriptures, we talk about the word sin. And sin in the scriptures is something that an individual by themselves cannot control or overcome. You cannot beat sin by yourself. It's a system. And what Jesus does, instead of coming to help each and every individual one at a time to overcome sin, Jesus goes to the system, to the source to break the oppression, the systemic oppression. And we literally have a tree in which Jesus hangs, and this is the way that Jesus frees us from our sin, from a system that oppresses us. Now, I could preach on Zion and systems, and it would blow your mind how intrinsic our sacred text, the Bible, is all about this. This is what it is about. And it promises this that we won't find a world without oppression or without violence in this lifetime. But in Christ, we will find it. But even with that, though, it tells us that we are called to be a part of creating this new place here. If you guys have your scriptures, we're going to end here. 1 Peter, the second chapter, verse 4. And so as you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God, and precious to him, you also, the living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scriptures, it says this, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, 
And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Let me translate that passage for you. Here's what it's saying. That Zion, the place where there's no oppression, where there is no forms of people being held down in any way, shape, or form, this place that Christ is going to create, it's going to be built stone by stone. And the first stone is Jesus, the cornerstone of Zion. But if you notice, before he talks about Jesus, what does he call you? Each person who chooses to follow Jesus becomes this, a living stone. You are being built into a spiritual house. You are being built into a spiritual house, which will create a spiritual town, which will be a part of the spiritual city that we call Zion. I'm not sure if you're getting what I'm saying, but this is a mind-blowing thing. If you choose to follow Christ, you do not have a choice any longer to ignore any system that oppresses anyone at any time, any place. The first thing that every Christian must understand is that any form of, of people being oppressed is now your problem. You are a follower of Christ, the first stone of Zion, the, the, the person who your entire life, if you are going to be freed of sin, if you are going to be freed of death and live forever, the only way to that path is following this person who in this life is here to free all other oppression in this world so that you can get to the next world. This is what it is to be a follower of Christ. And if this is our responsibility, if we don't just get to ignore this, then how do we, how do we even start? There's one place that we start, and the first place we start is by seeing it. We have to see it. If you noticed in uh, the passage of Isaiah, chapter 35, it talked about what would happen is that blindness would be lifted off of them. If you continue on the way to Zion, if you allow God, by the Spirit of God, to lead you on the path of Christ in this world, you, one of the first things you will experience is you will begin to see the world differently. Things that you are blind to, you will not be able to unsee anymore. You will see them for what they are. You, in your heart, most likely are not a racist. You probably love everyone. But to be a follower of Christ, I have to go beyond this. I have to be willing to look around me and to see anything, specifically systems. In the Scriptures, what they call powers and principalities, the very things that Jesus is coming to rip down. We have to be willing to look at any systems, economic, education, judicial, law enforcement, religious, any system that is oppressing, we have to be willing to see it for what it is. And that is the first step that we take as living stones placed in this world to begin building the first images, the first experiences of what Zion, a world with no oppression, with no pain, with no suffering is like. They must first experience it with us in these walls, in these places. So we start by seeing it. You probably are not a racist in your heart. But to be a follower of Christ, we go beyond this. We become people who see systems of oppression and we're willing to call it what it is. And this is where we start. So I hope that you're ready to follow Christ into what it is. Because following Christ always leads us to the same place. Sacrificial love. Love that cost us something. So now you get to go to worship. Now, I will say this. Stay with me. I did the mixing for worship this morning. It's awesome. It's going to be a little louder. I was intentional to bring uh, uh, the earplugs into the sanctuary for anyone who needs to plug them in. 
All right, there's plenty of room to, to get to the walls and hide from the sound. The quietest place in Grace Church is always in the middle, right? So if you don't want the noise, you go to the middle. If you like the noise, you go to the outside. That's the way it works at Grace Church. So get yourselves ready. It's going to be a great time for us as we jump into this. So as we go into worship, the best part about worship in this format of the service, we normally put the, the message at the end. But the coolest thing about this with worship is that the way the church has always done church prior to the last hundred years was worship was always how we culminated, meaning you would take the message from the scriptures, the instructions to conform to Christ, and then in the time of worship, you would let it kind of sink into your heart, into your mind, to your soul, and you would let it become, as you worshiped and you sang and you connected to God, you let it be an outflow of your desire to let the word of God transform your heart and your mind. And so I pray this morning that you allow the word of God, specifically from Isaiah 35, to sink into your heart and to your mind and to lead us into growing to the image of Christ. I'm ready. 